who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 4th. The action continues across the globe. Two ATP events, two WTA events, countless other ITF and Challenger tournaments going on. It is, as always, a fantastic time to be a tennis fan. Going to switch up the order of things a little bit on today's podcast. Hopefully, all of you have heard our Cracked Interview show this week. We've been running our From the Presser segment. I've had the chance to ask questions to the players competing in both Lyon and Doha for the WTA events. We've played those questions and the players' corresponding answers as cracked interviews clips throughout the week. If you want to hear more from the players, be sure to go check out that podcast wherever you listen to your podcast on these shows. What I've typically done is started out with the WTA action, then moved on, covered the ATP events. I'm going to switch the order today. I'm going to start with the men, then finish up with the women. The women's events almost wrapping up. We're at the semifinals in Doha, and of course, they're going to try and end those early so that these players can head on over to Dubai. We've also got the action in Lyon. That is only approaching the quarterfinal round, the same round as our two men's events. But I'm going to get to those women's events later, as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast going to save the challenger action for next week when Crack Rackets contributor David Gertler going to join me on the Great Shot podcast to name our challenger all-stars of the first two months of the season. But again, going to focus on the ATP action first, get to the WTA events afterwards. It's going to be me steering the ship today, and the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out, you all are sick of hearing it, but sincerely, we are forever grateful for the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Midwest Sports. If you need any updates to your own equipment, turn to our friends at Midwest Sports. You use the promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, but you'll get free uh, two-day shipping on all orders exceeding uh, $75, 15% off your order, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, I'm going to start out with the action in Buenos Aires because I know there are more 
headline players more, top-ranked players competing in Rotterdam, although I believe we've now lost all of our top seeds except for Stefano Tsitsipas and Andre Rublev. There are eight seeds there this week, so we've lost six of the top eight. But I want to start in Buenos Aires because what we continue to learn, and it's something I think I've been fortunate enough to have realized since early on when I started following tennis, but a message we try to communicate here on our Crack Rackets podcast as frequently as possible, challenger results matter. What you see even happening week in, week out, even if it's not at the highest level events, it translates to the highest level events. Now, the most dramatic example of this of late would be Aslan Karatsev, who was, if not the best player, this you know one of the best players on the ATP Challenger Tour last year. I think he had 40-plus wins or 30-plus wins, which in an abbreviated season is incredible. He had, you know, multiple titles as well, runs to finals, and, you know, none of us expected him to make the semifinals of the Australian Open, but he was playing some really good tennis. If you had watched the Challenger matches, you he was a guy you expected to certainly break the top 100 if he continued his level here during the 2021 season. Season, but two other guys who were phenomenal down the home stretch of last year and to start this season at the challenger level, and most of their success has come on clay courts. So it's particularly pertinent, little alliteration there for all of you listeners, given we are on clay here in Buenos Aires, uh, are Francisco Serendolo and Jaume Munar, who today advanced to the quarterfinals in Buenos Aires with wins over seeded players Benoit Pair and Francis Tiafo, respectively. Now, let's start with Francisco Serendolo because we've talked about him of late recently uh, on this podcast. He is a guy who uh, has made four challenger finals since September. He's won three of the four. His loss coming uh, at, excuse me, this year in February when he lost to Sebastian Baez in Concepcion. That was a 6-3-6-7-7-6 match that we talked about with David Gertler. We made the Baez to Schwartzman comparison, but it speaks to, again, how well Sebastian Serendolo has played of late. You look at his record. He's 35-8, and eight, folks, over the last 52 weeks. Now, during that stretch of time, he's only played two hardcourt matches. They were both of his Australian Open qualifying matches. The first one he won. The second one he withdrew from due to injury. But, you know, you take those two out of the equation. Not that 34-7, and 35-8 are that different, but he's 34-7 and seven on clay court matches. And they've all been challenger-level clay court matches. And you look at some of the guys he's beaten over the past 52 weeks. He's beaten Haumi Munar, who I'm about to speak about. He's beaten a guy like Federico Correa, who we saw made the semifinals last week in Cordoba. He's beaten Fasundo Bagnus and Roberto Carbeas Benia, Tiago Sabeth Vild, and you know, he beat Federico Correa again earlier this week. He is beating top 100 level guys at these challenger events and it translated this week it all clicked for him in Buenos Aires he comes through qualifying two three set wins in his first two matches and then two straight set wins one in the final round of qualifying one over Federico Correa comes back in the second set to take a 6-4-7-5 victory and today he survives against Benoit Pair and look there was a call. It was two love in the second set. Serendolo lead 15-40. Pear thought it was a double fault. The ball was called in. There was a huge reaction from Pear. You can go see the video on my Twitter feed at Great Shot Pod if you'd like to. And I apologize. That's not a shameless plug. I mean, it is a shameless plug. But that's just if you want to see the clip. Nevertheless, you know, 
whatever. That's Benoit Pair in a nutshell. The story for me is Francisca Serendolo, who I, and Benoit Pair is unacceptable. I, I think that goes without saying. That being said, that's part of the unintentional comedy of just tennis in general. Benoit Pair took it too far, but that's Benoit Pair again in a nutshell. Anyways, for Francisco Serendolo, you're going to watch him play for five seconds if you haven't already, and you're going to be like, give me that forehand. I really like that, and not just on clay. I think it translates across surfaces, and for any of you college tennis listeners, it reminds me of watching Skander Mansuri hit forehands against everyone else in college, the difference being Francisco Serendolo is doing it against top 100 pros, the way he's able to move that ball around the court and the way that he's able to step up, hit it down the line, hit through these clay courts. I think it's going to translate to hard courts as well. It's not like he's got these massive backswings either. They're big, but they're not massive. They're compact, and I think he's solid off of the backhand wing. I think he can produce opportunities to play attacking tennis with both his first and second serve. I think he returns well. I just think he's a top 100 player. Simple as that, and his results have laid prove as much. Now, you look for him in Buenos Aires by making the quarterfinals here in terms of ATP events in his career, how many quarterfinals has he ma- has he made? I'll let you think to yourself for a moment while I pull up the answer. The answer being at the ATP level, it's his first quarterfinal for Francisco Serendola, and I think the first of many. So again, uh, to see him knock off Benoit Pair today, you look at the numbers in this match for Serendolo. He made 81% of his first serves, won 67% of them, uh, those points, 60% of his second serve points. Now, he did have to do much in the third, <clears throat> excuse me, but he did enough, and ultimately he gets over the finish line. I'm about to send out a tweet as soon as I'm done with this podcast congratulating Francisco Serendolo on making his first of what I think will be multiple quarterfinals, but again, that's guy number one. Guy number two is Haomi Munar, who knocks off Francis Tiafo 7-6-6-4 and moves up to 3-0 overall in their career head-to-heads, and you know, for the second time in a row, he just played such high percentage tennis. He made 83% of his first serves, and this is an unofficial stat, but I think 70% of those first serves went to the Tiafo forehand. And look, he was only 50 for 77 on the on the day in terms of serving points, and that's not great. You look overall for Tiafo, he wasn't bad uh, overall in terms of, again, return points. One, he was at, I believe, 35% in yeah, that, that seems a little lower than the numbers would indicate. I guess it, and the reason, again, that would be is just the the second serve numbers for uh, Munar were so minimal. He only had to play 13 second serve points in the match. Meanwhile, Tiafo, a normally pretty respectable 60% first serve percentage, but he played 41 points on his second serve versus 13 for second serve points for Munar. So again, Tiafo lost more second serve points, 18, than Munar played second serve points at all. So even if you take them away, Tiafo still has to play five more second serve points. Or yeah, again, That's bad math. You get the point that I'm saying it was an excellent serving performance and that's where it started for Munar because then he was able to control the rallies. He was able to keep Tiafo from finding his rhythm and settling in the center of the court and you know when Tiafo can settle in the center of the court and has time he's going to move you around. He's going to find ways to hit approach shots and find ways to get to the net and look he still had chances in this match. I told you the scoreline 7-6-6-4 you look overall in this match for Tiafo was broken three times. Munar was broken twice. Munar got an early break in the second set. Tiafo ended up getting it back, and you know it looked like in that four-all service game or that four-five service game, he just you know he made a couple of first ball errors, and that's the sort of pressure Munar puts on you over time. And you look for Munar now over his last fifty-two weeks, he's thirty-two and eleven 
overall. And similar to Serendolo, he's made four challenger finals in those last 52 weeks. He's two and two in finals, all of them coming on clay. You look overall for him. He's also only played five hard court matches. You take them off of his record. Let's see, he's one and two, two and three. So yeah, he's 30 and eight. Uh, over the course of the last 52 weeks, all of those coming either at the challenger level or ATP level on clay. He's got wins over guys like Lorenzo Musetti, over guys like Elias Emer, over guys like, uh, you know, Sebastian Ofner, who's played really well of late, Botich van der Sanschlup, who's played very well of late as well, Sebastian Baez, and now, obviously now the win over Tiafo. And he's another guy who came through qualifying here this week in Buenos Aires to make the quarterfinals. And you look for him. He's had some success at the ATP level before, but in terms of making the quarterfinal round, he, he you know he's not a guy who's done this often. You look in his career now, this is, I believe, actually he has done it often. This is the seventh quarterfinal of his career. Shout out to you, Haomi Munar, who now, with this win, you look in the ATP live rankings. Munar, uh, back inside the top, or right around the top 100 up to number 102 when you look for Surindolo, who's hovering right there as well. He's at a new career high in the live rankings of number 129. It's a great week for both of them in Buenos Aires, the culmination of a lot of hard work over these last 52 weeks. So shout out to the both of them. And again, be on the lookout for that Francisco Surindolo tweet. I'm almost excited to send it at this point. In terms of your other results on the day there, Diego Schwartzman down an early break against an aggressive qualifier in Lucas Klein, but eventually found his rhythm just kept Klein in the outer thirds, didn't allow Klein to dictate. He did things Diego Schwartzman does. Good bounce back win for him. Good win for Pablo Andohar. 6-4-7-6 as well over Jean-Luca Maget. That means our quarterfinals in Buenos Aires tomorrow are as follows. Albert Ramos-Vanola is going to take on Sumit Nagal. Pablo Andohar taking on Francisco Surindolo. Miomir Kasmenovic taking on Laszlo Jure. That's an all- Serbian battle should be fun. And then Diego Schwartzman, Halmi Munar. That is a track meet, folks. I don't think you can take the over in terms of match times. I would, because I expect that match, again, uh, to certainly be a very physical one. That's what's going down in Buenos Aires. Let's switch gears now, talk a little bit about the action in Rotterdam, where, again, we're down to only two seeds left in the field. And Thankfully, both of those fields, or thankfully, I guess that's really a matter of perspective. Those, Both of those seeds advanced to the quarterfinals for Stefano Tsitsipas today. 6-4-4-6-7-5 over Hubi Hercats. And Hubi Hercats is a little tennis chameleon-y in that he's going to reflect the level of his opponent no matter how well or respectfully how not well that opponent is playing and again he's the jack of all trades six foot six can hit the big serve can move forward can slice can volley can hit on the run can grind it out will go big down the line he again what does the best of Hubie Hercots look like we don't know yet as tennis fans but he can do a lot of things he certainly did against Tsitsipas today came out with a great game plan played aggressive kept Tsitsipas on his back foot and you know sometimes he would leave the approach shot a little bit too close to the center, and that's when Tsitsipas' athleticism, creativity would shine through. He hit an exceptional passing shot to set up the match point in the 5-6 service game uh, of Hubi Hercots in that third set, but look, I mean, Tsitsipas faced one break point in this match. Hercots converted it. Hercots faced, uh, Tsitsipas created four break points in this match, only converted two of them. This was an either-or battle, and uh, you know, first serves, 
Hurkacz won 76% of his first serve points. Tsitsipas won 80%. The biggest difference, Hurkacz only made 57% of his first serve. Tsitsipas made 66%. That was the difference when the margins are this thin. Tsitsipas played 13 more second serve points. He made the most of those opportunities, created the one additional break he need, came out. Uh, you know, there were no tiebreakers in this in this uh, match. It was literally a break of serve in the first, a break of serve in the third. That was the difference in it. A credit to Tsitsipas, his maturity, his ability to hold serve with this consistency throughout the course of a match, play plus one tennis. I don't need to break down what a good Tsitsipas performance looks like because you all know. But again, this match being this close is a credit to the skill set of Hubi Hercats. He just has to find a way to channel this effort effort in every match he plays, but a credit to Tsitsipas for advancing on the day. Your other victors, Tommy Paul. A matchup between Tommy Paul and Sasha Bublik should be just prime time viewing. There should just be an app that comes up on any any tennis follower's phone that just says or a little pop-up notification that lets you know, hey, perfect matchup because Sasha Bublik wants to be adventurous, go big down the line, drop shots, short angles. He wants to play improv- improvisational tennis. You know who's the perfect athlete with a combination of feel around the court, creativity, and then you know footwork, speed? to match up with that sort of game style, Tommy Paul. And what we saw was, you know, an hour and 38 minutes of fascinating tennis, of different dynamics, point-to-point, drop shots, short angle, plus-one tennis. There weren't exactly long grinding rallies, but there were cross-court forehand exchanges, down-the-line exchanges, guys going, you know, drop shots that were tracked down and just... This match was delightful. Go watch the three-minute, 45-second highlight package on Tennis TV. If you're someone who has replays available to you via one of your subscriptions, feel free to go do that as well. For Tommy Paul, he played high-percentage tennis, made 69% of his first serves, won 87% of his first serve points, 63% of his second serve points, took care of what he needed to do, didn't get broken once today. And Bublik's played a ton of tennis of late. And the win over Zverev, you know, that's him building momentum from last week when he made the final in Singapore. Ran out of steam as this match went along, but that's a credit to Tommy Paul, who, again, tracked down a bunch of balls that 90% of the pros on tour, when Sasha Bublik hits, they're not getting to. And so it was a credit to Paul for making that additional ball and, again, displaying the creativity that he has. You look for TP now. The last 52 records, not great, 14 and 12, but in particular, at the end of the season last year, Nur Sultan, he makes the quarterfinals, wins a match in Paris before losing to three in Stan. Three-set loss to Korda in the round of 16 at Delray, but of course Korda went on to make the final. Was an okay Australia for him, two and two, wins over Nori and Basilashvili, losses to Paparin and Kaspar Ruud, but... Wins over Sinego and Bublik this week. He's got the chance against Fucevic to make his first, I believe, semifinal at the 500 level. Uh, or did he make the semifinal at the City Open that one year? Anyways, still for Tommy Paul. He's got a very winnable match. He's played high percentage tennis. He's been locked in from start to finish, and that's sometimes a big question mark for him. So credit to him for advancing in this match. Three sets over Sasha Bublik, who, again, is always a good watch as well. In terms of your other victors, shout out to you, Jeremy Shardy. Just went for it all, left it all out on the table. Uh, six and six victory for him over David Goffin, who played well. I mean, David Goffin can't complain. He was up 6-5, served for, I think, 
both sets and you know you look at the total points won in this match it was 79-71 Chardee and you know you look at the break point chances uh Chardee or Gofan was one of one on his break point chances Chardee was one of three it was a toss-up and you know it's just Chardee somehow again confidence he built from that unbear match he does again here against Gofen. credit to him for pulling off the upset your other winners I mentioned Marton Fucevic gonna take on Tommy Paul tomorrow because he knocked off Alejandro Davidovich Fokina who's very Tommy Paul-esque three and two so that's an interesting one tomorrow and then Borna Chorich going to take on uh excuse me Borna Chorich knocks out the deuce Dusan Lajevic and he is going to take on Kei Shikori tomorrow fantastic backhands in that match the problem if George gets passive Nishikori who got a much needed day off after that physical demon hour battle uh you know Nishikori is going to have the chance to dictate but Borna George has looked physically locked in he has played aggressive tennis he's been great at changing direction he's got a little more pop than Demon Hour does, and if he can get Nishikori off the spot, that match, again, becomes very fascinating, even more fascinating, pretty quickly, so looking forward to that one. Shardy Rublev will be interesting. Hatchinov, Tsitsipas, sign me up for that. Should be a very fun day of tennis in Rotterdam, and again, those are your two ATP uh, events this week. In terms of the action on the WTA Tour, let's go to Doha now, where again, our semifinals are set. It's going to be Victoria Azarenka taking on Garbine Mugarutha and Petra Kvitova taking on Jessica Pagula. Now I had the chance to ask questions of Kvitova, Pagula, Azarenka, Mugarutha, and Annette Kanteve, Petra Kvitova's opponent, which you can go here on our From the Presser segment on the Cracked Interviews podcast. As I mentioned, in terms of elaborating on these matches, only one of them went three sets. It was a fantastic level of play between Annette Conteve and Petra Kvitova. And for those of you who follow Tennis Abstract ELO ratings, which again, I've mentioned them before, they measure who you play, not the round you play them or the event that you're playing them at. They currently have Petra Kvitova as the number five ranked player in the world by their ELO ratings. Watching her play against Annette Conteve, that makes a lot of sense. And you look for Petra Kvitova, and I, I mentioned this stat, I believe, yesterday, but she's now 12-5 and five in her last 52. But you look at her in 2020, she went 20-6 and six overall. She was 37-16 and 16 in 2019 as well. But again, even just if you want to just go with the last year, 20-6 and six and 4-2, and two. she's 20-4-6 and four and six in her last seven events, and, you know, she's played an extraordinary level of tennis in today's match against Conteve. She just, you know, did, it, did in a, it was a broken match. There were, I think, 16 breaks of serve in the 26-game match, and yet it was because Kvitova holds Conteve under 50% on both first and second serves, plays such aggressive first-strike tennis, but, you know, anytime she got a look at a forehand, it felt like she took control of the point. She moved Moved extraordinarily well, and you know, Conteve played a good match. Conteve, whenever she got the chance, whenever Kavitova left the ball in the center third and a little bit short, she went big down the line. She took her chances, but Petra Kavitova was just zoned in. This was a very high level of tennis. I highly recommend going back to watch this one as well because, again, it would Annette Conteve did a great job changing direction she was right there and you look for Conteve her last results and I know I've talked about her a lot so I'll just want to kind of briefly talk about it but you look for her in her last 52 she's now 19 and 9 she's been really really good uh she was again very very good she just didn't quite have enough 
with her serve in particular, that second serve, well, honestly, with both serves, to hit Kvitova off the spot. And Kvitova just had a field today, and that's why she's one of the most special players in the past 10 years of women's tennis because she is in, I talk joke about it all the time, the neighborhood with Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka of that, you know, we're just going to hit you off the court. And she's an owner in that neighborhood, by the way, unlike Sabalenka, who still rents there. Petra Kvitova owns a home there. It's, you know, it's not the home that blows you away, but everyone respects that home on the corner. That's Petra Kvitova's power, uh, and it was on full display today against Annette Conteve. So again, this was a very, very fun three-set victory for her. Quick summary of the other matches. I don't know how Vika beats Fidelina in straight sets today. Vika was hurting. I believe it's her back, but Svitolina just kept too many balls in the middle third of the court, and Azarenka played about as well as you can hope to play. I mean, when you're not feeling your best physically, just was hitting all of her spots. She was going big early in the points, and it was landing. And then she took control of the points, and once you have a little bit more space, you can take a little bit less margin. Uh, yeah, then Victoria Azarenka is a freaking stud, and that's what she was today to knock off Svitolina. What a performance physically, mentally from her. You're disappointed if you're Svitolina, but... Azarenka just dug deep. I mean, go watch some of the points. Yeah, you're like, Svitolina, get the ball out of the center of the court. At the same time, you're like, what is she going to do? It's the third ball in the rally, and Azarenka went big down the line, and it worked. And sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And today it was Vika's day for Jess Pagula. Such a smart game plan. She played aggressive. She took a two. Pliskova went down the line, changed direction, line drive tennis, hit Pliskova off her spot. Pliskova's match, three-set physical match with Jabour, finished like 12 hours, 14 hours before her match with Pagula began, and you could tell physically Pliskova was not at her best. But again, it's a credit to Jess Pagula, who played aggressive tennis, who went for her shots, who's moving so well, playing so confidently. She deserves to be in the semifinals. She deserves, you look now in the live rankings, Jessica Pagula up to a new career high of number 36. It's where she belongs. She belongs, honestly, in the top 30 of the women's games, a women's game right now. That's how good she's been over the last six months. And another fantastic performance again for her, again, over Pliskova. For Garbine Muguruza, it's just all working right now. She's playing, you know, everyone else is playing checkers. She's playing chess. I really do think she's the second best player in the world right now behind Naomi Osaka on a hard court. And you all saw the Australian Open match. But this week, she's just dominated her opponents with her length, with her shot-making ability, her movement around the court, her first serve. She's made it at such a high percentage all week long here in this match against Sakari. She was again at 76.9% on the first serve. She won 80% of her first serve points, 66.7% of her second serve points. Excuse me, that's... What happens when you talk for 30 minutes consecutively? Anyways, she was 30 of 39 on service points for the match. She held Sakari to 6 of 25 on the Sakari second serve. That's how you get the job done, folks. She played aggressive, efficient tennis, as she mentions in the From the Presser segment. And, you know, ultimately she advances with the victory over Sakari today. She's in full control. And given she faces a banged-up Azarenka tomorrow, I would... I don't want to say bet the house, but I'm very, very certain that we're going to be seeing Garbine Muguruza in the final here in Doha. Now, between Kvitova and uh, Pagula, that is going to be a battle. Uh, that should be a really fun one. Pagula is going to make Kvitova uncomfortable, but 
Again, it comes down to the serve. She's got to land a high percentage of first serve. She's got to be aggressive. It's just going to be a fun match. That's all I have to say. Yeah, it should be a really, really good one. When Petra plays this well, I'm always going to lean towards her. But again, fun day of action set up for us in Doha. In Lyon, continues to be the story of the Claras today. It was Clara Burel coming down from a deficit early in her match. The former world junior number one, 18 or 19 year old, excuse me, French woman down in early deficit takes a 7 5 first set over uh, Sassanovich, drops the second 6 2, but then Bagel, 6 love in the third to advance to the quarterfinals. Uh, it was also Mladenovic, uh, Golubic knocking off Caroline Garcia, and Bedosa advancing to the quarterfinals. The only three-set match, Friedman in three sets over Aranxa Rus to advance to the quarterfinals as well. Keep an eye on Burel. Uh, she, she moves pretty well, and when you leave her in her spot, she can absolutely strike the ball. I think indoor hardcourts, she mentioned in our presser today, it's her favorite surface. You can understand why. She's just such in control, um, and you can just tell that's the surface she grew up playing on the most, but it's been a fantastic level from her, and you know tomorrow she's going to need her best tennis as she takes on fellow French woman number two seed Fiona Farrow. You've also got Mladenovic versus Bedoza, Georgie versus Tossin. That is going to be some power, folks, and Minin versus Golubic. So should be a very exciting day of tennis across the board. And again, going to save the challengers for next week. There's three going on this week. We'll talk about that and everything that's happened on the Challenger Tour thus far in 2021 on next week's Great Shot Podcast with David Gertler. But if you have missed any of the other action, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner, excuse me, and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.